I would like to start by guiding us through the passage from the book of Acts that we have just heard. It comes at the tail end of Peter's visit to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Since this particular story in Acts marks a pivotal moment in the life of the early church, I want to retell what happened just before today's passage so that its importance is clear. This may get a little wordy, but I'll try to be concise. Cornelius, a centurion living in Caesarea, is a proselyte. Proselytes were Gentiles, or non-Jews, who nevertheless worshipped God, practiced Jewish customs, and participated in synagogue prayers. He is visited by an angel, who instructs Cornelius to send men to the town of Joppa to retrieve a man there named Simon Peter, our hero. At the same time, Peter is on a rooftop in Joppa, having his own vision. He sees a tablecloth descend from heaven, filled with all kinds of birds, reptiles, and animals, and a voice from above tells him to kill and eat them. But Peter refuses, being a good Jew who strictly follows dietary laws and for whom the eating of reptiles and other animals would be wrong. So the voice from above tells him what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now as he's wondering what to make of this vision, there is a knock at his door, and the men who came for him get Peter and bring him back to Cornelius. You following me so far? Good. When these two men meet, Peter and Cornelius, they swap stories of their visions, and Peter realizes the meaning of his. Basically, God is telling him that the good news of Jesus Christ is not just for devout Jews who follow strict dietary laws. Rather, it's for everyone including Gentiles, like Cornelius. Peter, like the other Jews who were the first followers of Jesus, had excluded Gentiles from hearing the gospel message, considering them ritually unclean and separate from God's chosen people. But the vision he has tells him otherwise. It insists that God alone can say who is clean or unclean. So Peter begins to preach to Cornelius and to his household. While he's still speaking in today's reading, the Holy Spirit falls upon everyone present, Jews and Gentiles alike. And when the Gentiles start speaking in tongues, the Jewish followers of Jesus are stunned. Even so, Peter recognizes the work of God and he baptizes Cornelius and his entire household. As I said, this story marks a turning point in the formation of the early church. Prior to this moment, the only Christians were Jews. In fact, the word Christian had not yet been invented. Those Jews believed that Jesus was the final chapter of their centuries-long story of salvation, an extension of their relationship with the God of Abraham, and the fulfillment of the law first given to Moses. So their very identity as a Jewish people was integral to their faith in Christ. He was the culmination of it, in fact. When they see the Holy Spirit descend upon the Gentiles in the home of Cornelius, they are astonished precisely because they thought the message of Christ's redemption was for them alone. When you're told for thousands of years that you are God's only chosen people, it is understandably hard to suddenly witness the gift of God's grace landing on others. Some Jews grew fearful of losing their identity 
if they had to share the grace with Gentiles. So they demanded that non-Jewish followers of Jesus keep the kosher food laws and be circumcised before being baptized into the faith. Others simply left and went back to their Jewish faith when they saw the Gentiles were being brought in. But it was not actually the church that was changing. What was evolving was the early Christians' understanding of the character of God's mission for the church and for the world. The work of the Holy Spirit was more extravagant and inclusive than they had first realized, but not all of them were able to evolve along with that expansion of God's grace. And then we get to today's gospel reading. In a dimly lit upstairs room on the Thursday of Holy Week, Maundy Thursday, the word Maundy coming from the Latin mandatum or commandment, Jesus tells his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Less than 24 hours later, he is dead, killed and betrayed by those in power. And so it has always been. Love is met with fear and violence. And although we know that resurrection follows, the human race seems mired in the killing fields of Good Friday with no end in sight. More explosions and violence on the border created between Palestinians and Israelis. Syria using chemical weapons against its own people. Trouble brewing once more in the Balkan states between Serbs and Albanians stirred by Russia and Turkey. Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, Nigeria, South Sudan, kidnappings, suicide bombers. Caravans of Hondurans fleeing drug gang violence and seeking asylum in the U.S. Cops killing blacks, blacks killing each other. School shootings, church shootings, concert and club shootings, vans mowing down pedestrians. Abuse and sexual harassment of women at every level of society. People on either side of the Trump line alternately shouting or not speaking to one another. Love one another as I have loved you. I must confess to feeling a little depressed lately. And I'm not alone, I know. A recent magazine article states that the United States economy is the best that it's been in years. And yet, Americans haven't felt as gloomy about their well-being since 2008, when the Great Recession hit. Many in this poll blamed politics and polarization for feelings of anxiety and bitterness towards work colleagues and family. But I would go even bigger than that. I would say these are the latest manifestations of that timeless struggle we have between love and fear. Wherever there is fear, borders and boundaries spring up and violence soon follows. We box ourselves in and label everyone else them and they and other so that we might strengthen those barriers in our hearts and minds. Let's be honest. To some extent, we are, each and every one of us, guilty of this. There is some group out there that stirs up your fear. Be it undocumented immigrants, the homeless, refugees, Muslims, other skin colors and ways they dress or behave in public. 
On and on and on. What's depressing is I have a feeling this is just endemic to our human nature. It's simply who we are. There is precious little evidence to the contrary. (laughs) It is my job as your preacher to leave you with a message of hope every time I'm in the pulpit. And I fear I may have dug myself into a pit. What can I say today? Well, not a lot. Um, On a car ride in yesterday to the 5 p.m. service, I heard a Bruce Springsteen song called Cautious Man. I hadn't really heard before. And a lyric in it struck me for uh, today's readings, for our lives. The lyric goes, On his right hand, Billy tattooed the word love. And on his left hand was the word fear. And in which hand he held his fate was never clear. That is us. Love or fear? Which one is it going to be? We hear examples of barriers being broken open in today's readings. Against all odds, Peter and those Jewish followers of Jesus welcome the Gentiles, despite knowing this will upend their own sense of identity. And in that dimly lit upstairs room, in the middle of the night, those words of love Jesus speaks have actually not yet died out. Somehow, that tiniest little spark that was lit that night is still visible. And if we squint hard enough today, we will see it within the swallowing darkness that surrounds us. Somehow it is our job to take that spark and keep lighting our candles to it and bringing those candles into the world however we can. Otherwise, resurrection is pointless. Christ was resurrected. What are we doing to make it true? If it's darkness, we have to insist on light. We have to take those candles like we did at the Easter Vigil and light up the darkness with hope and with action. And um, while I may not leave you with a happy message today, I will leave you with an exhortation. You must do, and I mean you and me, you must do something in your life that helps others, that brings light to their darkness. And I'm not just talking about friends or family or even this church and your pledges and your volunteering. All of that is important. But as the Bible says, even thieves love their friends and are good to them. The hardest saying of Christ is love your enemies. And to me, that means face your fear. Do a thing that benefits not you, but a stranger and maybe even someone you don't agree with. If you are not doing this somewhere in your life, and I'm sorry for this, I have to say, if you're not doing something in your life for someone else that does not benefit you or anyone you know, you are not living out your Christian call. And so it is my intention as your rector in the months and years to come to strive for us to become the kind of church that people will one one day point to and say, they are bringing the light. And it won't be easy, but it will be joyful if we can meet it with open hearts and some fear and then fearlessness.
And um, I'm sorry to be such a downer this morning. <laughs> but it's what's been on my mind, and it's where the Spirit has led me to speak. And there is a lot of darkness, but um, that's why we're Christians, you know? That's what resurrection is. Um, we care and we do something about it. So my prayer for us as a community is that we become those candles that bring the light of day. Amen.